you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics. We're the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters and everyone in between. And uh, we're back this week with a new episode. We've, we, did a, we did a whole range of lookbacks at 2021, which were really fun to do. I really enjoyed those. Um, but we're coming back with something brand new today. And interestingly, in true style, Ben, you've got something and I have absolutely no idea what it's about, apart from the fact you uh, sent me the side which I couldn't see what the title was of a book that looked like yeah. looked like it was the side of the English dictionary. Well, you're right. So um, we always make a joke that I always pick the longest books. And in truth, I don't actually look at how long they are because I sort of, I tend to find these books by sniffling around in forums and things and finding places that people have gone oh this is interesting and then i think generally you sort of have to read like three or four different books to find one that um is kind of right for this podcast and when this one i I genuinely heard it flip through the letterbox and i was upstairs and i thought oh my god i bet that's my book and (laughs) i went down and yes it was and uh it was 400 pages but it, t- it ticks both the boxes that we love. And when I tell you the title is Hitler's Monsters um, oh, okay. <laughs> by, by a guy called Eric Kurlander. And I must admit, when I was, when I'd ordered it, I thought I might be on a mission to find, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, maybe a werewolf or something like that. That isn't actually what it's about, but. Uh, it's published by the Yale Press, the Yale University Press. So I should have thought perhaps it wouldn't be about werewolves. It wouldn't but be a- crammed full of cryptids. It's not crammed full of cryptids. Well, there are some cryptids in it. Oh. But what it does is talk about the relationship between Hitler's rise to power and the supernatural. And it is a right. lot more complex than I had realised. Right. When I when I was starting to read it, I was thinking back to um, the Fortean Times about two Christmases ago did an excellent article about uh, the Nazi Christmas and they had some photographs of uh, Nazi baubles, so like Christmas baubles hanging on Christmas trees but with the Nazi insignia on. Wow. And you sort of think, well, how do you, how do you get to that point in the world where that is happening and this book lays it out now obviously i am not going to speak about every single one of those 400 pages because we would we you know we we have to do another podcast next week and i've i've i only had two weeks off over christmas and i was reading this thing doggedly and i read it twice and what i've done is pull out the bits that really I had never heard of before, and I think if you've been watching the History Channel, you might know some of this. I don't think it's any secret that the Nazis did use some, I don't know, I would say sort of occult uh, symbolism. And, you know, well, that's, you know, for a start, that's where the swastika comes from. Well, and and also it's reminded me of... um 
I mean, it's also themes in movies, isn't it? Like Raiders of the Lost Ark. With yeah, the, that's you right. You know what yeah. I mean? The Nazis trying to find the Ark of the Covenant and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that wasn't Spielberg and people didn't just pull that out of thin air. It was it was based on that that kind of interest that Nazis and Hitler and various other people within that organization had, right? Yeah, that's right. But it, this has also taught me quite a lot about the state of the world in the couple of hundred years leading up to the Second World War. And the thing that, first of all, piqued my interest very on in the book, the author talks about parapsychology uh, and talks about it being probably the most, and these are his words, the most legitimate and all-encompassing border science to emerge in the last decades of the 19th century. And it hadn't even occurred to me that parapsychology uh, was around for that long. And, it and, also... and in the book, what, kind of, what's, what would be the post-it note definition in that book of parapsychology in that context? Right. So parapsychology in Germany at that time, it was working to explain the prevalence of esoteric sciences in Germany. So what that means is it talks about how the the population as a whole, they're on that cusp between being hearing things about science and and also having a background in I guess folklore and right. occultism. Not like you know, not like uh, doing Ouija boards and stuff, but having belief in occult things, and then into and, that and supernatural beliefs. Basically. Super, sorry, yeah, supernatural beliefs. I like, think that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so, you've kind of got this, uh, I guess, a butting up between traditional religion, scientific materialism, and this sort of pervasive old knowledge, old belief in the supernatural almost almost paganism in some ways maybe well paganism is absolutely part of it yeah, and okay. he talks about how people were looking for an ontological description of who they were and i like to think of myself as being pretty well read but i had to look that turn up term up <laughs> and i didn't realize what that means is the nature of being so he says at this point they, the German culture is at a point where the national history, where people are looking for a purpose in existence, and we see that there has been a breakdown in religion or science to help normal people answer this question, we get a flood of what we might call today New Ageism. And I sort of thought, well, that is an interesting thought. I'd never occur that never occurred to me because New Ageism to me, growing up in the West post second world war with a lot of influence from America, new ageism to me means hippies. It means tie dye. It means yep. crystals. Yep. It means Yoga. flower power, love. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yoko Ono probably. Um, <laughs> I then read a second book and I'm not going to this, this would we be, I'd have to be teaching a course if I was to go into this, but at this point, before I go into anything else, if that, piques your interest go and pick up a book called the stepchildren of science and it's about the psychical research and parapsychology in germany between 1870 and 1939 just just google it you'll find it on amazon it's like less than a tenner this gives you the backstory to how 
the population had got to this point and the whole mix of beliefs that were going on. Okay. But if I go back to the if I go back to the parapsychologists of this time, in the late 19th century and early 20th century, the author points out what their goal was was not to genuinely understand occultism or prove that occult phenomena existed. So I think that's really different to today. If you were to contact like Kieran O'Keefe, I think is probably the most famous parapsychologist in the UK. And if you listen to any of his work, he's been on everything from Most Haunted to uh, some pretty uh, in-depth Radio 4 shows. He is looking at, you know, I suppose i would describe it as the science of reality is is what he's looking at it this is not what these guys are doing it's described that what they were really doing was looking to expose mediums spiritualists and other practitioners as charlatans so basically taking a uh, a viewpoint that these things can't be real and so investigating them to prove them not and there's um one very prominent german parapsychologist he's called helwig and he describes occultism as a contagion of the mind and he goes on to say people without proper knowledge of science were susceptible and experience shows day after day that countless people are no longer capable of calm and critical thinking as soon as it comes to occult problems it is sad when one sees how even academic men who have perhaps made their name in a number of fields of science completely lose all sense of logic and reason. And I think that is a really interesting statement because we see shadows and reflections of this kind of thinking today around what we might call fake news or what we might call people pointing at other people and calling them sheeple saying well you've swallowed the the kool-aid you are believing in something that must be completely impossible and it doesn't need to even need to be occult things it could be around politics or it could be around religion it could be around climate science mm. it could be around all a number of things but this which, which is also that well, that statement that you made um, uh, also reminded me probably around a similar time of the thing we did on Harry Houdini. That was almost his his uh, setup, wasn't it, in terms of his book about the occult and spiritualism that he'd almost made up his mind, and it was even though he said it wasn't, was almost set out as an essay to disprove it. And he spent a lot of time right. looking at that. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Yeah. So we've, so we've got this mainstream thinking, which is, it's, it's almost like doing art history without being able to draw, if you see what I mean. Yeah. But then there's this emerging genre of parapsychology, which claimed equal scientific legitimacy but it sought to validate the claims of spiritualists, clairvoyants, and astrologers, basically. Right. And there's a, there's a couple of people that keep coming up, and a couple of names to bear in mind are Carl Duprell and Albert Schrenk-Notzing. Easy for you to say, I've been practising that. But they start to build on 
a a viewpoint put out by somebody called Blavatsky, and we'll come back to her in a minute. But what they talk about is things that we would be talking about on this podcast today. So some of them being human biology, consciousness, and then some more esoteric things like spiritualism and astrology. Mm. And with this in this sort of uh, duality of this of of one science but split into two you've got the people who were saying no no we need to validate and understand what these people are experiencing and relate that to the human condition and we've got a whole load of other people who are trying to pull this back into materialism and poo-poo it and this is where we are in well some of the papers that these guys are talking about and we've got the german theosophical society who are publishing papers in 1884 about this so we're talking a good 30 years before the first world war or a good 27 years before the first world war and a bigger gap between that and the second world war but you've got these emerging points of view which are already like creating uh, a, a a debate which gets rougher in the scientific circles but also doesn't help to answer any of the questions that the overall population might have and don't forget the news and the information they get is absolutely relegated to books scientific papers if they get into the mainstream magazines there is no broadcast news there is there's very you know obviously there's no internet so there's a competition between who is releasing this information and what people are believing and when it falls onto the ears of the different people who are living in different parts of germany depending on what their sort of native folklore beliefs are it lands in different ways right yeah and then this is kind of the part of the book where you start beginning to make sense of why and how Hitler and the Nazi party managed to persecute sections of society because he then goes on to talk about Freud who was I'm sure you all know a Jewish liberal and a scientific materialist Mm. and he goes on to talk about uh, in a paper that he publishes he says that he distrusts occultism's roots in an Indic Orientalism that thought that sought to cultivate oceanic feeling and claims about achieving personal harmony. So he's talking about the danger of Eastern mysticism mixing with parapsychology, providing what he calls a false sucker to those already sceptical of science. So he's saying that the these um, these people who are saying, well, no, materialism isn't, isn't right, there is something else going on, he's saying, no, no, what you're doing is giving the people basically the power to believe in, in fairy tales. And it, it, in some instances, draw on beliefs that um, come from other cultures, but if you don't understand them and you don't understand what they stand for, you can twist them 
into being something that works for your own personal ideology. So right. he's he's saying that there is a danger here that you can basically write your own version of how the world works. Is, so is, you is almost he's he's almost saying you create a massive cult rather than uh, the power of the individual. That seems to be my summary of what you just said that's right that's right well he 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 absolutely uh he, he clarifies that by saying um that uh to reinforce fanciful attitudes towards the jews a race in which in the middle middle ages was held responsible for all the epidemics and which today is blamed for the disintegration of the austrian empire and the german defeat that can the the those occultism pieces of folklore which are being misappropriated can be used to reinforce those right. feelings. Almost now, so, so that sounds almost like the birth of propaganda in a way. Nazi propaganda. It's minding me of that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So the the author and I I'll quote him directly here because I can't put it any better. He says, Freud anticipates that the way in which occultism and parapsychology might provide a dangerous panacea to those already prone to racial scapegoating. Now, he's not saying that this is the the root of the anti-Semitism that was set to rise, but it gives an indication of perhaps some of the, the ideas which were percolating around and makes it easier to understand how because you know, I, I think even at school when we're all learning history, we always kind of go, how is it that sane, normal, rational people can at some point in history be persuaded to wake up with their husband, wife, kids, dog and go to a concentration camp and kill other humans yeah. with, yeah. you know, without any feeling or remorse and thinking it's the right thing to do. And this is kind of... Uh, the fertilizer that starts the the growth of the plant which gives flower to the yeah. things that the Nazi party are trying to do it's almost the it's almost a, an accelerant it's probably a good one an accelerant yeah, yeah yeah absolutely yeah um and so we go on to learn that parapsychologists accused Freud and um, and other people who were criticising the parapsychology movement of being unscientific in their analysis of occult phenomena. So we so the people who were on the we must investigate and find out what's going on with this occult phenomena it, it is something that is part of the world. They're saying, well, you just aren't looking at this in the right way. You 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 aren't accepting that this can be studied. And you know, their their criticism is uh it's it's very two-dimensional. It's it's literally it's the Fox News interpretation of whataboutism. So he says, Well, you're just basically enhancing fairy tales, and they're saying, Well, prove this isn't a fairy tale which isn't a very useful argument coming back because it doesn't stop um, the spread of what's going on. And they go on to say that anyone who believed mediums could influence so many people through trickery or deception, border sciences uh, argued were themselves suffering from mental illness. So this is something that then becomes 
it becomes a more divisive argument. So this side of the parapsychology investigation or science, both in inverted commas, they say, well, if you can't believe that these many psychics can be correct, then you yourself must not understand something and then go so far as to say well you're you, you know you're mentally deficient and that is when things start getting much more dangerous yeah. i want to just talk a little bit about like because this is where theosophy comes up and very specifically a very german version of theosophy so theosophy sort of i had never this is brand new to me i hadn't come across theosophy before i started researching in this book so according to wikipedia theosophy teaches that there is an ancient and secretive brotherhood of spiritual adepts known as the masters who although found around the world are centered in tibet and this theology was promoted by madame blavatsky she was a ukrainian and uh, she was born in 1831, and she was the Russian author who co-founded the Theosophical Society in 1875. And it was this society that gained an international following. And it is this society which became a magnet for these people who were arguing the case that there was something in the the world of the occult but also because if you can see there when i say you know there's these masters and they're centered in tibet it opens the gateway for all of these folk stories and local religious pieces of information or uh you know sort of received stories as fact to come in from around the world and then it is given the green light to sort of say well this is because i'm a theosophist this is something i believe in and therefore i can uh, i can work with this and the 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 version of this belief that comes to germany it is explicitly racist and areocentric because uh there's a french version and an anglo-american counterpart and they are very much more just kind of yeah new agey they're about spiritual healing and that sort of thing and they'd probably be anti-vaxxers now and that sort of thing but the version that lands in austro germany speaks of a future for the Aryan race based upon the wrongs that have been done to them and the fact that they have had their spiritual beliefs ripped off them. And this, we will learn, is something that the Nazis really capitalise on. So there is somebody who you've probably heard of, um, Dietrich Eckhart, um he born uh 1868 went on to 1923 he was a german anti-semite but he was a poet a playwright a journalist a publicist a political activist 
And he was the founder of, uh, or was one of the founders of the German Workers' Party, which is the predecessor to the Nazi Party. And what we learn is on his deathbed in 1923, he said that Hitler will dance, um, but it is I who will call the, the tune. So he is already recognizing. So in the background, we've got, you know, Hitler doing his political work, which is, you know, it's very well covered. I don't need to go into that. Eckhart was one of the most important early influences on Hitler and was a model for future leaders. He published a periodical, I do apologise for my my German, Off Gott Deutsch, where Eckhart combined a sort of an intellectual and a pragmatic approach to politics with an uh, this sort of enthusiasm for Nordic folklore and mystical roots of Germanic religion. And he published an article called The Midgard Serpent, where he talks about this this theory of... Um, it's really hard to explain in a few words, words but it's uh, it revolves around uh, a blood-sucking cast of Jewish wire pullers. So basically this is, he is drawing upon older folklore about vampires. He is characterizing those vampires as Jewish and he builds a Hitler very specifically as being um, the person who would defeat these beings. So what he's doing is putting um, the... Uh, a feeling towards Jews and turning it into an occult feeling and giving it uh, giving it legs by referring to this old folklore essentially it's, it's quite a it's quite a convoluted and interesting way of doing it but he, he is genuinely trying to make Jewish people sound like evil occultists and ultimately drawing a parallel between them and the devil and trying to make the uh, the Aryan people in Germany feel like they're on the side of God, although not the God that one would recognise from Roman Catholicism. And that, and that, and I was going to say, but that kind of vampiric kind of monster supernatural imagery i seem to remember in kind of seeing in examples of nazi propaganda and some of those themes also coming across i remember going to an exhibition of um soviet propaganda artwork and posters and things like that and some of that imagery coming style of imagery at least coming across in in that you know that kind of the regimented nurse versus these kind of almost monster vampire influences that definitely did pervade into to propaganda and Nazi artwork, I think, didn't it? Oh, oh, God, absolutely. And we will we will get a, get into that. I mean, okay. it, it what he is. Yes, he is. The, I mean, he is not the only person, but what we're building to is this notion of good and evil and the the evil is being categorized as not just a the jewish devil which you know eckhart absolutely 
uh, doesn't shy away from saying, but it becomes materialism itself. And this has become so very confusing to anyone living under that regime where if you're in that world, black becomes white, up becomes down, yeah. and you can't you you can't pull out the truth. Well, it's funny you say you said up becomes down because actually while you were speaking, I thought of um, I don't know if you've seen it, but most people have now on on Netflix. Don't look up this way. You got the scientific community saying you know there's this comet coming to destroy the planet. And, you know, just look up, you can see it. And almost the politicians saying, no, that's a betrayal of everything. Don't look up. They're trying to scare you. Yeah, literally, yeah. literally in the movie, don't look up becomes this kind of hashtag don't look up becomes this trending chant at rallies and stuff where people won't even look up to the sky. It's it's interesting. It, well, again, when you were talking, that those images of that movie were coming into my head. Well, this is exactly what is going on, and we'll find out later how the Nazis capitalised on this. But just before we leave Eckhart, we will... He is the person, or one of the people, who again adds an accelerant to the Nazi party. And we probably all think, because it's never explained again in... Well, it's certainly never explained in the history lessons I did at school in the late 80s about how it is that we end up with what should be a peaceful symbol from India as being the hateful swastika that we know today. And again, this is when I read this bit of the book, suddenly it all started to make sense. And I had a little bit of a chill. And he, so Eckhart argues that he calls them the racially superior Indo-European people had been corrupted by the Jewish desert spirit embedded in mainstream Christianity. Diametrically opposed to Christianity was to embrace the wisdom of India, which moved beyond nature to recognise the connectivity of everything in the world's soul. Eckhart provided Hitler with a crash course in Indo-Aryan mysticism and... Uh, he was to teach him that the religion was not too dissimilar from the army, uh, the Armenism of List and Lance. Now, I'm not going to go <laughs> into that because, again, we'll be here for another uh, bunch of hours. But, but what that does say is, as you can see there, he is specifically showing Hitler how to use symbolism from Indian religious uh teachings and scriptures mixing that with an evil blend of Aryan Christianity and folklore stealing and appropriating symbols and then pu pushing that back on the population to say everything that you were taught by Christianity you know that that Jewish man dying in a cross and uh, all of that that is that is the, the Jewish people uh, taking over what is what is real and what is, we go back to that, the world's soul. So he is selling, he's right. basically selling racism as a good thing. Yeah. And this is, and this is not, you know, this is mainstream parapsychology integrating with 
le- political leaders who are trying to find a wedge into mainstream politics and do what Hitler did, which is take over. And it's when you start understanding this, that things start falling into place and you understand that this is not, it wasn't just as, you know, because I do think it is, it, it is, it's not sold in history books, but I think that in the history books, we, we learn that yes, obviously Hitler and the Nazi party start demonizing Jews. And then we, we have, um, crystal night, we have, um, you know, v- various instances which lead us to the rise of Hitler. But I don't think anyone has gone in depth in, in certainly in a book that I have read, yeah. where this occultism really yeah. comes into play and yeah. it pulls on the strings of people who are moribund when it comes to should I go to church? Should I believe in science? And there aren't anybody, there is nobody speaking about, you know, the 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 world of science at this time, the world of pure science as we would know it, isn't, hasn't got a loud voice because all of this stuff is being amplified by the money which is being ploughed into potential political leaders who are earning their stripes by gaining more and more popularity and power. And it's, it's at that point when you understand how dangerous this is, but also how it would have been impossible to see the danger because it grows little by little by little by little who obviously the whole, you know, um, pushing the Aryan race as being, you know, the true, uh souls of the universe that is a dangerous thing to push but it's a message that is buried within oh yeah but the reason we're saying that is because all of these guys took away all of our folklore and so you should go back to listen to your folklore and your folklore will tell you that you are on the right side of history and gosh it's chilling well it's interesting it does and i've never thought about it in that way before but uh, maybe because it it isn't used or hasn't been used in in that way in my lifetime but it it does highlight the the dangers of the the argument about the paranormal and unexplained things being uh, almost put as an argument of hard science and fact versus people who are just crazy and believe, you know, fairy tales. You know, it's, mm. it's, you know the believers and the doubters. You know, and and I think for me, that's that's in terms of the podcast. That's what's interesting of going. I don't know. I don't know which way it sits in terms of the paranormal or not. But I'm interested in it. I'm not just going to write it off. It it almost seems like in that birth of the Nazi Party and and within its it's uh rule let's say that they almost spotted that going well actually there is this big separation between the believers and the doubters and actually we'll go with the believers because it gives us all kinds of stuff and themes that we can play on and it, and abuse, it gives you more fiction you can build on yeah, yeah and abuse you know and that's I hadn't I'd never really thought of it in those terms before no nor I nor I but like I'm not going to, well, I will touch on UFOs before we finish, but it does make you think 
perhaps all of the disclosure stuff, there's a danger in it, right? There is a danger. Well, I, well, yeah, we can go on to that, but also I was thinking there's a danger in even using the word parapsychologist. Mm. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because I don't think yeah. we'd ever claim to be parapsychologists. I, you know, if we were going to put ourselves into a category... <laughs> I know this sounds grandiose and I'm not saying that I am this, but it's almost, uh, I would put us more in the team of philosophy around the paranormal rather than science of the paranormal because, you know, certainly from my perspective, I won't speak for you, it's about the concepts and the ideas and the minuscule chance that there may be something, whether it be scientific or paranormal or not, that's true. But, you know... In the back of my mind, I know it's a minuscule chance that it's there. Yeah, I think UFOs are slightly different, but if we stick with the kind of core paranormal with a big P, you know, to call yourself a parapsychologist or a scientist of the paranormal is slightly a contradiction in terms to me on some levels. Yeah, no, I I, I quite agree. And uh, I would say that um, what we've... the the whole reason we started this podcast was because we saw that there was an overlap between um, scientific phenomena. You know, we always talk about the dual slit experiment and the potential for what that could mean for what people experience in their own world and, you know, of ghosts or whatever and saying that we believe them. But obviously, and I can't believe I have to say this after reading that stuff out, but I feel I have to. We have no agenda whatsoever. Ghosts are ghosts, UFOs are UFOs, science is science. And if it comes down to it, always believe the material scientists, always. Yeah. But but don't, don't uh, diminish the stories of people who've seen something. But it's the, it's the danger of putting... Um, of uh, and we'll see i'm gonna uh, it's on my next page but we'll see absolutely some of this stuff was written by actual fairy tale creators actual fairy tale writers were writing this stuff that the nazi party came into now the only can i I say something else it's leading on from what you say i think it also highlights the danger of um turning something that a phenomena we don't understand into a belief system yes yes which i think which is a danger with the paranormal and to some degree you know the ufology and ufo community it's like you know yes it doesn't mean you can't explore it talk about it think oh it'd be great to see one if they do exist that you have to have a belief system associated with it well, I was going to say, like, I think Heaven's Gate is probably the most obvious one, but that is a self-contained cult. I I think, and uh, I don't want to make any enemies here, but I would say that Stephen Greer is in that world of almost turning, having a story around these things, which I had never considered dangerous. I just thought, well, that's a personal belief because yeah. he talks about like meditating and bringing craft down out of the sky and stuff. And that doesn't seem dangerous until you can see, and I'm not saying that he will do this. I'm not saying that's him. I'm just saying that somebody like him could say, you know, they could start putting these, they could start twisting folklore tales as we've seen here 
and sort of start saying, well, of course, UFOs are only seen by people who should rule the world. Um, and or, you know, I'm a mystic and they've spoken to me and we should persecute these people or they've told me that we should invade Israel or we should do it. And it's that, that moment where if you had an inflection point where I don't, we're not there yet, but if the majority of the of the world was convinced that, you know, the Nimitz UFO was a real UFO that contained people from, you know, Beetlejuice. And then you have somebody else overlaying a story that can get into the public consciousness and twist the way that consciousness works. You get a mixture of reality and, uh, and propaganda. And that is the danger. And I, I, just hadn't realized how dangerous no this was. and i yeah and i i i agree with you just uh, yeah really is because in that in that scenario that you're talking about it's almost like yeah the the tic tac nimitz ufo is from beetlejuice hey but you know it's china who are helping them so we've got to kind of rally against china do you know what right. i mean that, yeah you know, yeah, put, yeah exactly put it in a more modern context and it's like well you know you are in that scenario and it looks what the Nazis did and people like Eckhart was conveniently for them conflate those their aims with the paranormal and 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 mystical beliefs right yeah completely but l- let me tell you about this next bit because this is where I suppose this is act three of the film um so we're an, we're an hour in on a Netflix film. Right. And then I read uh, this bit. So there's a guy called Robert Lay who was, um, he was part of the National Socialist Movement. And he made a speech on behalf of the, uh, um, the Nazi Labour leader. And he talks about these 700 shrines of honour. Now, these are people who, these are... Um, graves uh, in some cases mass graves of people who died not only in world war one but mainly in world war one but in in other conflicts that germany had been involved with and he says these dead were not really dead but they climb out of their graves at night and visitors in our dreams and it was through this speech that the nazis adopted um, this this line, which was the two million German dead who had entered into Valhalla of the new soul by claiming to represent undead soldiers, the Nazis appeared more in tune with traditional conservatives and with the mystical race soul shared by living and dead soldiers alike. So what he's saying there is um, this is sort of uh, adjunct to what is... Uh, we would know today as being a, uh, a a racist kind of thing that you might find at uh, a far right rally, but it's the um, the blood and soil argument, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so he's saying that these dead, they're not dead. The soil of Germany is still yeah. nourishing their blood, and they're yeah. still there. And this opened the door for Hitler, Himmler, Rosenberg, and other Nazi leaders to frequently refer to monsters. And this is kind of where the book takes its right. title from. No, yeah, that, that, it's funny that point you mentioned Valhalla because it, it, I, I get those themes, isn't it? Only 
good brave soldiers got to Valhalla, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Almost like heaven and hell, you had to, you had, is a similar thing and a similar theme that goes through religions and belief systems of, you know, you have to be quote unquote a good person or a good person in terms of that subset that you're within to get into these mystical, wonderful eternal places and again they've used that mythology and adapted it for their own uses yeah absolutely yeah. so so what, what i was saying was so so all of those party leaders they demons devils vampires mummies other supernatural beings hitler and all of those other people start using them as in their speeches so, uh, for example, Hitler, this is a uh, this is him criticizing communism because he's trying to build um, uh, a wall of feeling against the Russians. He says, um, the original founders of this plague of nations must have been veritable devils for only within the brain of a monster, not that of a man, could the plan of an organization assume this form and meaning. One cannot drive out the devil with Beelzebub. And then in other parts where they're talking about fighting Jews um, and the Soviet Union, actually, they talk about um, the devil avoiding holy water. And uh, there is also talk of the Weimar Republic turning Germans into zombies. So what they're really trying to do is... Uh, there is a there's an absolute feeling in the Nazi Party that what they're doing is is putting the Aryan race, you know, into a into a, a Jesus like utopia, but not using the you know what we would expect to be the Holy Trinity and stuff like that. They're turning that into it's all they almost leave holes to allow other people who are around them to put this Aryan uh, mythology back into them to back up what they're saying. But Hitler consistently refers to Jews in the same sentence as demons and vampires and starts talking about how the uh, what we would know today of the devil is associated with what we would know about um, uh, Jews. So the, ve- the very definition of demonization. <laughs> yes, it's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the, it's a, yeah, the, yeah. Wow. Uh, it's it is it is extraordinary, and then because this starts to capture the public Im- imagination, in 1920 the Nazi Party sponsors a winter solstice festival. And this Winter Solstice Festival is absolutely geared around bringing out all of the all of the Nordic and Germanic folklore and representing it back with a Nazi rapper. Yeah. So uh, there's this uh, speaker who talks of. The and he, he mixes all of these different things together to create something that works for the Nazi party. So he talks about a sun god, a pagan god, these Germanic heroes, the history of the great Nordic mythological hero Siegfried, which I'd never come across either. But um, they actually do a prayer 
to him in in this and they then go on and this is spoken about at this festival but goes on to become uh, an absolute part of the nazi party they then hit upon witches and this had never occurred to me that this was something that was you know part of the argumentation from the nazi party but they start to take on board that perhaps the Catholic Church eliminated German culture, race and religion by persecuting witches. And it's at this point, this is, this is a, I'll use that word again, this is an inflection point where the Nazi party, they've built up this following, they've built up the, the stories which support it and then this is one of the things that they use to turn off Catholicism in uh, in Germany. And I didn't realise that there was an SS witch division, and that actually happened. It's, it was set up in 1935, and uh, as you can imagine, it was run by Himmler, and uh, I'm not going to... I'm not going to uh, say the German for it because it's far too complicated, but it was called the Special Task Force on Witches. And it was centred on collecting, purchasing, stealing archive material from all over Europe. And there was 14 people in it, and they were working within the framework of what you would imagine to be the Nazi Party uh, and the propaganda division within that. So they've, you, they've got an agenda. I have heard of this before. Oh, really? Yeah. <clears throat> um, on some documentary I watched, uh, may have been a Netflix thing. Uh, I think it was, it was kind of re-dramatised. You know, one of those ones where it's a mixture of dramatisation and historians looking back. It was a very short segment. But I do, and I think in some ways this might have been Raiders of the Lost Ark type inspiration because I I know they were searching for documentation and artefacts that they were gathering and it sounds like, I don't know, I mean there may have been multiple units but it sounds like it could have been this unit you're talking about. Well, it's, it's certainly, it certainly makes sense but I think probably like Raiders of the Lost Ark, again, I think this is one of those things where it sounds funny, doesn't it? It sounds like, God, those crazy Nazis, a witch division. Yeah. Um, and they, they did assemble 30,000 documents, but what their actual job that Himmler gave them to do was, and as he put it, solve the riddle of how the dominant Aryan-Germanic religion of nature could be defeated by the decadent Jewish-Christian religion. Yeah. And he thought that if he could work out how that had happened in the past, he'd be able to defend the Third Reich from that attack, Yeah, you know, in, in, in the contemporary time. And apparently the SSS, the SS witch researchers came to the conclusion that witches were the guarantors of German faith and natural healers from the oldest Germanic sagas. By accusing so-called witches of consorting with the devil, the church could criminalise the practice of German religion, which you know, means culture and justify the murder of its spiritual leaders. Well, it, it, it also gives gives them the opportunity to spread the myth that 
they once had magical powers and they can have again, doesn't it? Yes, but it also allows them to come to that conclusion that this was all instigated by the Jews and presided over by the Catholic Church. So again, it's used as a persecution, but it's also, as you quite rightly say, used as an aspirational thing for people who had those mythology in their in their upbringing or in their local culture but had never thought that that this justified you know a campaign against a race of people and and this was you know this was absolutely um part of the 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 whole story around it and he goes on to this is something that was really interesting because this is something that i had, had had come across and i didn't realize that it had been used in this way um the one of the people who was working with himmler at the time uh and is working on uh sort of how to build folklore to build um a sort of a an ethnic origin story he talks about the folkloric tradition of the wild hunters and i'll come on to what that is in a minute if for anyone who doesn't know but he talks about the wild hunters as um, and the, the this wild hunt as being a an allegory for violence from Slavic neighbours. So again, they're using another piece of recognised uh, folklore to find another another segment of sort of population or a neighbor to persecute like the wild hunt the wild hunt actually comes up in modern day computer games have you come across it no no i haven't so i thought it was a really ancient thought but actually it was developed by jacob grimm one of the grimm fairy tale writers this is where it comes in uh in 1934 he built it on some comparative mythology um, but it is, he very specifically put in a lot of um, Germanic pagan tradition into there. And basically what it means is that um, if you go out, if, if you, you might hear at night Odin on his carriage being driven by spectral horses, accompanied by ghostly dogs, the souls of the dead, Sometimes fairies, sometimes Valkyries, sometimes elves. But this is a hunting party that is led by, well, it's usually always Odin. And he's going after either his enemies or in toned down versions of it, he's going on a hunt for food. But with him are all these other supernatural beings. And Grimm made this popular by uh he he sort of he he turned it into the wild hunt and and wrote the story about it and that became something that people would say oh have you heard the wild hunt it became a little bit like a banshee in um germanic religion in that um if you saw it something bad was like to happen and it was one of those things almost like the bogey uh, bogeyman way parents would say stay inside in case you see the right. wild hunt and people would like sort of talk about how they'd heard the wild hunt go over and it is based on other 
like I say, other things that Grimm had picked up on, but he he consolidated it down into one. And then the Nazi party take that and turn it into, well, this is just you being uh, being blinded to the fact that there are com- people coming in, pillaging your land, killing your people, and you have accepted this as a myth, but it's not a myth. It's real, and we must fight against this. And so, again, it's this weaponization of old stories that is terrifying and it's not even that older story 1835 that is no time at all for 100 years time for the nazis to have basically turned that into you know the a cruise missile of words wow um i am going to probably finish here now with the when i when I was going through the book, like I say, I put marker points on all the things that I thought were extraordinary. And this is another extraordinary. Um, we've all heard of um, Von Braun, right, who mm-hmm. goes over through Operation Paperclip from Germany to go and work with the Americans and is basically the the father of the... Uh, american space program well he has a mentor herman obeth and (laughs) i didn't realize this but he was completely fascinated in parapsychology occultism and he got away with it he got away with um what he did in the war uh like helping to develop v1 and v2 missiles just like von braun and all the others did but he writes in a series of post-war articles and some interviews, he insists on the existence of UFOs and alien technology. And he furthermore goes on to proclaim that the the United States had appropriated these but refused to share them with the public. And so he he is completely taking everything that, he has kind of picked up from the Nazi party propaganda about, um, you know, this, this unhelpful mix of materialism and occultism. And then post-war his, uh, his people have mostly gone to America. He is still around in the public eye. He's gotten away with all the bad things he's done. And he is pretty much the first person that I can, and I don't, I have done a search on this around the book because I, I think he might be the first person to talk about how there was this misappropriated technology. And I thought that was both fascinating and disappointing because it makes me wonder when we talk about Roswell, when we talk about Bob Lazar, God, I want them to be true, but have we fallen even in, this part of the century for a mixed up Nazi ideological viewpoint. That's really interesting. Cause I, I, the way, why you was in the process of saying that I was thinking, God, we, at the moment we are ripe for that kind of, uh, abuse, let's say of paranormal, 
thoughts and beliefs because you know I think we've talked about it on the podcast a number of times there's this polarized viewpoint you know if you talk to people uh, this is a gross stereo stereotypical look at it but it, it it is often my experience you talk to people who you would argue are more from a scientific belief point who just go any kind of belief or paranormal thoughts or discussions are for crazy people uh and then on the flip side you have this other line where it where it can often be almost a spiritualistic belief in yes it. um and i think you know you've got those polarized viewpoints um there is also a, which i think those polarized viewpoints almost puts the belief or interest in the paranormal as a real kind of underground, uh, I was going to say pursuit, but do you know what I mean? I, I don't want to use, I'm trying mm. not to use the word belief, interest, let's say. I mean, mm. I, 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 while you were talking, I was just Googling some stats and there are from the US, I think this is for 2021, uh, survey that said do you believe in ghost schools spirits or other types of paranormal activity uh 18 to 34 year olds 39 percent say yes 41 percent say no 20 percent have not made up their mind so 60 mm. percent of 18 to 34 year olds either believe in the paranormal or haven't made up their mind if you go to the 35 to 54 age group, similar numbers, 35% believe, 21% not sure, 44% say no. So still the majority either believe or are not sure. It's only when you get to the older age groups, it's 26% believe, 21% haven't made up my mind, 53% say no. You know, so there's what the point, and the point I'm making by sharing those statistics are. If you look at mainstream media or mainstream beliefs, you would think that belief in ghost, ghoul spirits and other types of paranormal activity would be a small percentage of the population. But it's a pretty high percentage of the population. And if you add in people who've not made up their mind, it's pretty much the majority of the population, which mm. makes you think that it is ripe. And I would imagine if you asked a question about aliens or UFOs, depending on how you worded it, you'd probably get a higher degree of belief or do not know. So it I think is, you would. yeah. And it's in, so it's interesting. So I was going to, I was then going to say, God, it could be ripe to be, manipulated in a similar way that the nazis did uh but it's interesting your point about ufos that actually maybe maybe it is right now maybe it is right now yeah and it's um i had i hadn't started on this thinking that it would be a um i had hoped the journey that i was going to go on reading that book was um the story of some paranoid later to become drug-addled, uh, perhaps mentally disabled idealists who were looking for ways to enhance their power, which is kind of the way it's sold in uh, Indiana Jones, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, per yeah. perhaps if we invoke yeah. this demon, they'll be on our side or whatever. Yeah, That, I think, is the... Um, 
uh, that's the fanciful side of it. The reality is a pernicious building of deliberate nonsense. Yeah, an based exploitation upon, of beliefs. Yes, but, uh, and capitalizing on some truths, some half truths, some latent beliefs, some uh, the the way in which the population receives their news. And all of that comes together into the perfect storm, mm. which means you end up with Indian symbols on Nazi Christmas trees where there is, you, you know, with with a... I, I could never understand this, but now I get it. The persecution, the person who is supposed to be, you know, Jesus, who's a Jew and... You've got Christianity, but it's not Christianity. It's Nazi Christianity, and it has been changed around to make which is good, Jesus, Jews, bad. Uh, all of this stuff, the, the whole thing is incredible, and that book is mind bending. And I think it is, I do think it's relevant to the current day because I do think we see this every day on. Twitter, I think we're in a battle with people who are trying to make us believe that up is down, black is white. Yeah. Um, you know, if you if you meet anybody in the pub who tells you that um, Bill Gates is putting microchips into your vaccine, yeah. you're meeting somebody who could have worked for Himmler. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think what's been fascinating about discussing this topic on the podcast is I think it has, I wouldn't say changed, probably solidified my view of the paranormal and, um, you know, UFOs, so both big P and small p paranormal, because, you know, we don't just say that we're agnostic as a concept of the podcast. I, I, you know, I truly, I'm agnostic in the sense, I think you described it well of... I haven't got a belief system in the paranormal or mm. UFOs. I still think you can believe that people have par paranormal experiences yeah. without having a belief system around them. Like yeah. every everybody that we've spoken to that has told us ghost stories, I completely believe what happened to them happened yeah. to them. No, no, I agree totally. And I'm not I'm not I wasn't saying it in terms of doubting them. No, 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 no. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But I think if if we just say we haven't got a belief system, like because there are so many belief systems, like we've often spoken about, like our ghosts. Is it stone tape theory? Is it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, is it a spirit coming back from the dead? Is no, you're it? Right. Do you know what I mean? It could be any of those things. You're right. I think maybe maybe that's the point I wanted to make that. There are lots of theories out there that are intriguing and interesting and could explain some of the weirdness that people experience and see. But that doesn't, for me, translate into a solid belief system in the paranormal. Do you know what I mean? And that... I'm really not explaining this well. No, no, I do know exactly where you're coming from. Yeah, I do. But I think I think the reason why it's difficult to explain is because the whole thing is difficult to explain because um, all we've got are personal experiences 
and no evidence that you can put you, you know you, you can't there's no evidence that we could necessarily put in a lab there might be a few exceptions yeah. but you can't you, you have to just go on well that sounds like it could be this and then inevitably because of the way you know hum, humans work you start going well what is a possible way that that could be it could be this could be this could be this could be this I, you know you know what ben i i think where i'm i think where this episode has been incredibly thought-provoking is i think where it is coming from in me is there's almost a feeling of oh my god if this even looking at this subject could be perversely twisted in the way that the nazis did to cause such great harm then fuck you know should we walk away from that you know what i mean whereas but it's interesting would I feel the same about the dual slit experiment? Do you know what I mean? Which is also unexplained and bizarre. I wouldn't go. No, no. I wouldn't go. Well, we probably shouldn't look at that. So, I'm almost thinking aloud <laughs> as we're talking and and recording. But it's definitely stirring up some kind of wow, amazing thoughts in my head about the whole thing. But I I think it's a it's a warning from history, not necessarily yeah. a warning from the the research because like um most of the time we do stuff that is funny and entertaining and my god we've got a good ghost story on tape that we will be bringing you soon and the person that told me that and me hearing it it doesn't make me uh we're not we're not populating any propaganda we're just going blimey yeah she saw what yeah but i think Um, i think i think it's important that i'm really glad you chose this as a topic because it it is a cautionary tale of the paranormal to me you know what i mean it's perverting the paranormal and the subject in a hideous and horrible way and that there is potential within the subject that it can be used that way i think is something i'd never i'd never thought about seriously and and is a really good cautionary tale to put out there i think but i i I think it's what it tells us as with everything in life very specifically the things that we're dealing with now like politics healthcare and stuff is like don't just accept what somebody else tells you Mm. think about it read about it does it make sense to you read multiple sources think about what they say like one of the things i will say like i said at the beginning my since i've started doing this podcast my shelves are groaning with books and i read and i read and i read and the more you read most of them are just like brilliant stories about like a ghost dog on the a12 and stuff like that um, but some of them fall into this this realm, and and I've got plenty that are from scientists who sort of claim that this can't happen. And I think what you what you must always do is, you know, Brian Cox famously argues that ghosts can't exist, and he's got a good argument for that. We have famous, well, not famously, famously amongst this group, <laughs> spoken to Misha Paris, who told us about the ghosts that do exist, and I believe both of them and our job as 
if we call ourselves journalists as journalists, but also more importantly, our job as being responsible citizens is to hear both sides of the argument and not jump on either side, but go, I trust that you're both telling the truth. And then what is the truth that comes out of that? If, If you're both not lying, and I'm sure neither of you are, what is that middle ground? And it is yeah. something that is unexplained. It is something that we're yet to discover. But yeah. when we do discover it, boy, it'll shake our bones. But what we must look out for are people who try to exploit that area of doubt, give you an easy answer, and then take you on a ride. Never, ever, ever go for an easy answer, which seems to explain something yeah. without significant evidence. Oh, yeah, or and adding to that... And let it, and then let it build and translate into a fixed, solid belief system that you're not willing to question. Oh, absolutely! And never, ever let it stop you being friends with somebody. Like I'm a, like I'm, I would describe myself as a militant, militant atheist. But I've got friends who are militant Christians. Mm. Fine, that's the way it should be. Yeah, we don't definitely. try and change each other's mind. We find out what's good between us, and yeah. we embrace that. And that's what we must always do. Genuinely, if you know somebody who you're friends with who has a different, you suspect has a different idea than you do about the paranormal and the weird, sit down, and have a conversation with them. See if you can find yeah, some yeah. middle ground. Yeah. Find find a way of like having that conversation without getting angry social media has taught us to be angry i think we should be intrigued by different people's views well Um, i I think that's i mean actually that is a really good summary of of the historical experience of what you know you've been describing over the last hour when people get entrenched in these positions you know almost abusively saying you're crazy to to believe or think of, of this stuff and the alternative of going, well, you just don't understand because, you know, science isn't everything. If you've got these kind of polarised views, that's where it can be exploited. Yeah, I think that's right. I think yeah. that's right. And so, yeah. The, the only view I will polarise on is if anyone wants to argue with me that Cavalier King Charles Spaniels aren't awesome, then I'm willing to have a fight about that. But otherwise, <laughs> bit middle ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was just trying to think of another analogy for me. Um, I'm not sure I'd be able to find the middle ground between the Beatles and Black Lace, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you know what? There's probably there's probably a musical scholar somewhere which will be able to highlight the genius within Black Lace. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't know about you, but when you went like on holiday, when one went on holiday, when on your first holidays when when you were 18 years old, about like 92, 93, it was impossible not to go into a popular bar without hearing Agadu. Impossible. Yeah. Um so, you know, you got to hand it to those lads. They probably all driving Ferraris now. <laughs> yeah. Push pineapple against the tree and let it be. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> now you need to find a way of doing that as a podcast. Like yeah, exactly. Or a match. The paranormal roots of black lace. <laughs> All right. On that note, uh, thank you for listening to us, and uh, we'll be back next week with uh, with more paranormalness on the quantum mechanics. See you. <laughs> See you then. Bye. Bye.
Are you the quantum mechanics?